Praise the Lord. Yes, he has risen. That is so wonderful to say. He has risen. If Easter says anything at all to us this morning, it's that Jesus will always be with us. The pyramids of Egypt are famous because they contain the mummified bodies of all the Egyptian kings. Westminster Abbey in London, England is famous and renowned because in it rests the bones of kings and nobles of England. Mohammed's tomb is noted for the stone coffin and the bones of Mohammed that it still contains. And Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. is famous for all the soldiers that are buried there and their bodies are entombed. However, the garden tomb of Jesus in Jerusalem is famous because it's empty. Oh, you didn't hear me. It's famous because it's empty. If you believe that, can you just shout your praise to the Lord? Wow. It's empty. I want you to turn with me to John's Gospel, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Why we came for a sunrise service is recorded here. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, which was John, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still don't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw the two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been buried, one at the head and one at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. It means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. What an amazing statement. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Friends, as I look at global happenings, I see great events taking place all around the world. Democracy is being brought to parts of the world that never before had known what it was to be free, to be in, digni have dignity in, as individual citizens. World health organizations are working around the clock to stem the tide of AIDS and cancer. Those would be black plagues in another time if it wasn't 
stopped or come against. We now have unprecedented ability to communicate knowledge, ideas, and beliefs to any part of the world and to any person in the world via the World Wide Web and satellites and cell phones, Facebook. Amazon has given us an ability to reach out around the world to ship produce and all kinds of goods and possibly to even reach places of suffering and calamity all from your couch. You never have to leave home. And these world-shaking events are really changing the course of history. And as I watch and wait in God's presence this Holy Week, I was reminded by the Holy Spirit that no event in world history has shaped the world like the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm also reminded of the simple fact that life that we know it on this earth is temporary. We're here for a moment, and then we're gone. There is death. Every one of us will face our mortality, barring, of course, the rapture of the church and the second coming. However, aside from the rapture, we all are going to face death. Men throughout the centuries have come to realize there's no military victory, there's no medical cure, no global village that can prepare any individual to answer the ultimate eternal question. And that eternal question is this, is there life after death? Is there hope of eternal life? Well, this morning we've come to proclaim the hope of his resurrection. There is hope. Yes, there is his resurrection. The hope of the resurrection Well, yes, there's death, but however, there is life in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only one qualified to answer the eternal question because he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And because of his resurrection, each one of us can have the hope of a personal resurrection in our life. Friends, many of you have come here this morning with a sense of anticipation and a sense of longing. And the more you look at the world, there seems to be sobering questions happening on CNN and MSNBC, and you turn on Fox, it seems like everything is out of balance. Questions are being asked by every individual. Is there hope? Is there life? Is there really joy? The answer to all those questions arrived 2,000 years ago. He's waiting to give you that answer in these altars of grace. The blessed hope comes to us through three words. Christ has risen. Christ has risen. Listen, this morning, that's good news if you're depressed. That's good news if you've lost loved ones or have lost loved ones. Good news to those who lost their joy, lost their peace. Christ is risen. And as we've already said, yes, he is risen indeed. Friend, listen, death lost its sting and hold on humanity The very moment the Holy Spirit of God invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God, oh, the power of life came. Because of the resurrection, Jesus brings life out of death. Jesus brings hope to the hopeless. But I want you to think about that very first Easter Sunday morning, and let's consider, just for a short time, what really took place. First, the disciples were changed. The most telling evidence of the resurrection, besides the empty tomb, was the transformation of 11 men, those disciples. Their disappointment changed immediately to exhilarating joy. Their fear changed to amazing boldness. They immediately assumed a new audacity. 
See, in less than two months, they went from cowardly disciples who were locking themselves behind closed doors, afraid of the Jewish officials, afraid they would be next, to courageous apostles who stood before thousands in the presence of the same Jewish leaders that they once feared. But now when they stood there, they were proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ, he's alive. He's the Messiah. Again, look at the disciples. Eleven men are not going to give up their lives to simply perpetuate a hoax. For a lot of people said, well, it was a hoax. He really wasn't dead. He just swooned in the tomb. No, remember, on the night before the day of the crucifixion, the disciples, out of fear, left Jesus, and they denied him, and they actually said, I don't even know him. Some even went back to their old fishing jobs, completely walking away from the ministry. However, three days later, they returned to being disciples. And we have to ask the question, why? Why would they be willing to lose their business, their reputations, their family, their personal well-being? And even their lives, for the majority of them, were martyred simply because they said, he's alive. We've seen him. We know he's alive. Oh, no, friend, there's no reason why they would put so much on the line unless Jesus had actually risen from the dead. Other than the resurrection itself, can you think of any other reasonable explanation for why they would make this claim? Why these men would be willing to risk it all, risk their wives and their sons and their daughters? And Oh, no, they knew Jesus is alive. Second, because of the resurrection, Our view of death has changed. I like a story of a pastor who on Easter morning was visiting the graves of his parents. He was quietly standing there in Memorial Cemetery near the headstone of his father. When he heard music blaring from a car stereo, he said, I heard the bass from the stereo before I even saw the car. As they came around the corner, he looked over, and the silence and the somberness of that moment was pierced by teenagers really screaming and hollering and laughing and just having a great time, he immediately thought, well, they're here to cause trouble. Surprisingly, the car stopped by a grave in the distance. They all got out of the car and walked over to a particular grave marker, and there they stood quietly. They all broke into tears. They embraced one another. Then they slowly walked back into their car, and they drove away. They came in joy and left in sadness. The pastor later thought, I can't help but think how the first Easter was so different. The woman came in sorrow to a tomb and left in joy. Friends, because of Easter, your whole view of death can change forever. Well, you didn't hear me. Because of Easter, your whole view of death can change forever. You see, sitting before me, we all have secret graveyards Somewhere in our lives, something or someone that we have given up on years ago and inscribed on its tomb the day of its death. Possibly it's a dream for a ministry that you had or the salvation of a loved one. And now you see that loved one and you say, well, they'll never give their life to Christ. It'll never happen. Or possibly you gave up on a joy or or something you had promised from God. 
You need to understand that Jesus still has the power of resurrection anointing. Jesus never gives up on the dead. He never gives up on the dead. He brings life out of death. And all we need is his touch, his breath, his word, his anointing. And that's what has died, comes to life again. If Jesus never gives up on the dead, then we should never give up on the dead. And yet there are some of us that we've given up on our marriage or we've given up on our children. Given up on the hope that we would ever be healed of cancer or leukemia. Well, there's no doubt that there are people here praying for the salvation of spiritually dead family members and friends. And for years you have cried out to God, but lately you find yourself giving up. Just by a quick show of hands, on this Easter Sunday morning, <coughs> is there anyone here that if you were honest with yourself and honest with God, you would raise your hand and say, yeah, Randy, I've given up on some things that I was hoping for for a long time. If that's you, can you just raise your hand? Yeah, look around. You're not alone. And I do that not to single someone out, but to let you know you're not alone. For many years, you've cried out. I asked one woman one day in a service I was ministering in, how long have you been praying for your husband to give his life to Christ? And she said, 52 years. 52 years. And she said, on the day that he gave his life to the Lord, you were speaking about the second coming of Christ, And he finally said, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. 52 years of waiting for the promise. On this Easter Sunday morning, I want you again to begin to believe in the power of resurrection anointing. The power of Jesus to raise up all that has died. No matter the situation, no matter the call. How can we do that, Rand? That that seems impossible because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The resurrection is the absolute bedrock of faith. Take it away and you no longer have a church. The Apostle Paul said to Corinthians, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is in vain. Not only that, we have been found to be misrepresenting God, for we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Oh, listen. The resurrection affirms our instinctive conviction that death is not the end of a person's story. It's actually the beginning. This life is so short. And death is not the end, it's only the beginning. See, earlier we established that the day will come when we all will die and enough time shall pass that no living person will ever speak your name. However, the resurrection affirms that God himself will always know who you are. He'll always know your name. He'll never stop loving you. Isaiah chapter 49 and 15 explains how God will never forget who you are. The moment you give your life to Christ, that he'll always know who you are. See, Isaiah 49, 15 says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will never forget you. I'll never forget you. While my wife was nursing our four children, there is no possible way she could forget them. Her body wouldn't let her. Her body was continually wanting to nurture those kids. In the same way, it is with God in you. Verse 16 of Isaiah 49 says, see or behold, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Two things in this passage. First, the metaphor of a nursing mother. He says, is a nursing mother likely to lose concern about her child? No, she won't. Regularly, she's aware of that child. She will nurse and care for the child several days at a time or several times a day. 
But even if they do forget, as rare as that is, God says, I will never forget you. I will never forget you. Then Isaiah, the foremost messianic prophet, drops this prophecy to the church by using the verb see, S-E-E. Or one translation says behold, telling us that the prophet is looking forward to a time when the risen Messiah, Jesus the Christ, will look you in the eye. He'll meet you there, on, in, he'll meet you there in heaven on the streets of gold, and he'll look at it, and he'll pull his hands out, and he'll say, see, I've inscribed your name on my hands. In other words, every day I was looking at it. I've inscribed your name on my hands. One day we're going to hear Jesus tell us, I had you on my mind when I prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, because the Bible says in Gethsemane, he looked through the eons of time, and he saw the ones who have not even come yet. Isn't that amazing? Remember, he's all man, yet he's all God. That's what makes him so wonderful. And as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane meaning olive press, the place where it was squashed and the olives would give up their juice, so Jesus was squashed and he began to give up the things. And he said, Lord, I will go for those who have not even come yet. So there's a time coming when you see him face to face where he's going to say, I had you on my mind when I prayed in the garden. My thoughts were of you when I went to the cross. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he's going to say, you were on my mind when I came out of the grave. Your name has been inscribed on my hand. I will never forget you. I'll never stop loving you. I will always know your name. Listen, simply because our hearts have stopped beating does not mean the last chapter has been written. And so it is not death that we should fear. It's sin that we should fear. You see, for the child of God, death was swallowed up in victory on that first Easter Sunday morning. The moment that that stone was rolled away and the power of the resurrection brought Christ out, well, death lost its sting. Even nature right now is screaming out, the loud news of the resurrection at this time of year. You can't help but recognize that life is all around us. The trees are blooming. The grass is turning green. Everything is changing. There's resurrection all around us. That which was dead, a seed which fell to the earth, rotted, is alive again. Nature does not know extinction. It only knows transformation. And if Christ applied that principle to the least of his creation, doesn't it make sense that he should also apply it to the zenith of his creation? which is you and me, mankind. Thirdly, because of the resurrection, our view of Jesus has changed. It's interesting that the story begins, or the story ends as it began. See, at the birth of Jesus, the angels, they cried out, be not afraid, be not afraid. When Mary comes to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday, the message is, be not afraid. We all come full circle. The statement to be not afraid was not an accident. Jesus was comforting those he loves at the time of their greatest need. You say, well, why would he do that? Because that is his nature. He's the loving father. The one on the cross and the one who rose from the dead is none other than God incarnate. He is God almighty. Jesus, the Galilean, is God in human form. Our judge has nail prints in his hand. 
An almighty God experiencing an all too human suffering. Friends, he is none other than your shepherd fighting for your survival in the valley. This morning, he is your bread sustaining you during the famine. This morning, he is your counselor who defends you on judgment day. This morning, he still is the door to the heavenly father. He is the gate of eternal life. He is your sacrifice before God for sins. No one else is qualified to show you eternal life but Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because he went into the grave and now holds the keys of death, hell in the grave. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He lives. It's the resurrection. My earliest memories of Easter morning was my grandmother walking through the house, and she would sing in Spanish and then in English and then a heavenly language. And she would walk around the house on Easter, and she always sang the same song Easter Sunday morning. It was pitch black outside, and I could hear her walking through the house singing, He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I'd come out, and she'd be cooking in the kitchen, and she'd just, whoo, over here. And she'd say, whoo. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I hear his hand. I feel his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. And I would watch her as the tears would flow. And she'd say, he lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives salvation to impart you ask me how i know he lives how many can testify he lives within my heart listen as i try to close in the winter of 1982 vice president george bush at the time he represented the u.s at the funeral of former soviet leader leonard brezhnev Bush was deeply moved by a silent protest carried out by Brezhnev's widow. He watched as she stood there by the casket of her husband. She stood motionless by this coffin until seconds before they were about to close the lid. And just as the soldiers touched the lid to close over her husband, Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage and hope, a gesture that must surely rank as one of the most profound acts of civil disobedience that was ever committed. See, just before they closed the lid, she reached down and made the sign of the cross on her husband's chest. There in the citadel of secular atheistic power, the wife of a man who had run it all had lived for years with a secret relationship with Jesus. And she hoped that her husband was wrong. Well, she knew he was wrong. She hoped and she, she, her hope was 
that there was another life and that that life was best represented by Jesus who died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And that same Jesus might have mercy on her husband. You see, she knew that death was not the final word, even though she had been told all her life by her husband and by the Kremlin that death was the end. This is all there is. She knew there was one who was resurrected. And she hoped secretively that all the years she prayed for her husband, that just before he died, somehow he gave his life to Christ. So she made the sign of the cross on his chest as they closed the lid. Friend, because of the resurrection, we see the disciples differently. We see death differently. We see Jesus differently. Do not despair. The message you've been waiting for has arrived 2,000 years ago. He has risen from the dead. He is alive and he's well. And I want to visit the part of the message that you might have missed. We all have a secret graveyard somewhere in our life. Something or someone that we've given up on years ago. The Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, it's not enough just to know him, but I want to know the power of resurrection. I want to know the power that brings dead things back to life again, dead joy, dead peace. I want peace that passes all understanding. And I'm going to ask the musicians to come back quickly But I'm just sensing that there are some here that you want to pray and agree for some dead things in your life to live again. And I want you to sing that last song you just sang, and let's just do it softly and slowly. But again, understand that if you would surrender it to the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised Christ from the dead is here to bring dead things back to life, to breathe life into your marriage, to breathe life into your home, to breathe life into your vision. Maybe you're praying for grandchildren that are not serving God, and this morning you've given up, but you want to, again, have the power to believe. Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm going to ask you, you know, just a moment, to start calling their name out before the Lord. Say, Lord, you're not going to forget me. You said, as a nursing mother, will never forget their children. Lord, don't forget my grandson. Don't forget my granddaughter. Lord, don't forget my son that was raised in church is no longer serving you. No, Lord, I'm, I'm believing in the power of resurrection anointing. Maybe there's someone here as they play softly that is sick and you're facing a long trial of maybe chemo or cancer treatments. You need God to touch that part of your body with resurrection anointing. Maybe you've had a lost dream. You've looked over your life and said, well, I missed my window of opportunity. The reality is you never miss your window of opportunity when you walk with God because every day is a new beginning. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And I'm going to ask you to stand and I want you to sing this song. And then I'm going to ask, is there anyone here that just wants prayer? On this Easter sunrise service, whereas the sun rises up over the earth physically, our Savior rose up physically as well 2,000 years ago. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name today. And Lord, we adore you. Father, we worship you. Lord, we thank you 
for coming after us. Father, we thank you for seeing us, Father, and, 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 and loving us and wanting to be a part of us and coming after us. And Father, when we choose you that, that, that we can look at life now, that anything that comes against us or anything that opposes us, we can say he is risen and so will we. And so, Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise that, that nothing has a hold on us because we are in your and birthed in you. And, Father, you love us, you look after us, and you protect us. And we give you glory, honor, and praise for that. Now, in Jesus' name, amen.